Hi everyone, this is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. We are One New Man Ministries. We are an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation with really four goals. One is to spread the word or share the word of the gospel of Yeshua, reconcile Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles, unify unity in the body of Christ and to study the Jewish roots of the Bible. So that's what we do. We study the Jewish roots through the Torah portion every week and the New Testament portion that's put with it and the Haftorb. And as Ephesians 2:4 says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Messiah. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us together in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua, so that in the coming ages he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Messiah Yeshua. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God." So, Jerry, what are we going to study? be studying today? I want to say hello, good morning uh, to you guys and to our listening audience. We're so glad you're here with us. Our Torah portion covers the uh, first several plagues of, uh, that God sent upon Egypt, the first seven. Uh, our... Haftorah portion, the, the prophet's portion, uh, is a reflection by Ezekiel about the, uh, the uh, oh, I can't think of the word here, <laughs> the inability, there you go, the inability of uh, Egypt to support Israel in their fight against Babylon and why we shouldn't trust, why Israel shouldn't trust in Egypt. And I want to hopefully spend a little bit of time talking about uh, what that might mean for us. And then our uh, New Testament portion is that portion in Romans chapter 9 that talks about uh, Pharaoh and really just picks up the theme uh, that we find in uh, Exodus chapter 9 here about how God raised up Pharaoh for this purpose. And it alludes to, gets us into thinking about the uh, complete freedom and sovereignty of God. So we've got some pretty big topics, it seems like, uh, in, in, in these passages. So we'll do our best to, to fit them in. But I want to begin with uh, this first part of our Torah portion, Exodus chapter 6. And it begins in uh, the English version because in in the English version and the Hebrew version sometimes the verses are, are assigned a little bit differently uh, so I want to say that in the English version uh, we're at Genesis chapter 6 verse 2 uh, is the beginning of the Torah portion it says that God spoke to Moses and said to him I am Adonai Hashem the Lord that in your English Bible capital L capital O capital R capital D and I want to point out that the beginning of his discussion with Moses, he, he, he says, uh, the basis of what I'm about to say is that I am the Lord. And then I want to point out at the end of what he says to Moses uh, in verse 8, he concludes the same way. He says, I am the Lord. So think about that as like the double exclamation point, if you will, of everything in between, right? I am the Lord. I am the Almighty, the Faithful One, the, the Ever-Living One, the Eternal One, the Self-Sufficient One. I am the Lord. What I'm about to say to you is backed up by the fact of who I am. Then he goes ahead and says what he has to say, and he says, I'm the Lord. <laughs> like, take it to the bank. This, this is happening, right? So what does he say in between? It is a reflection by God of all of the things that he intends to do for Israel, because of his covenant with the fathers. What does he say? I am Adonai. I am Yahweh, for those of you who pronounce those four uh, letters. 
I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. That's the Hebrew El Shaddai. So El Shaddai is a name that talks about God's complete sufficiency, his uh, desire and ability to fulfill the needs of his people. Uh, there have been some Hebrew studies that link uh, that to the Hebrew word for the, the woman's breast uh, and the idea that we, she nurtures the child in that manner. And so El Shaddai is a name that suggests that, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, nurturing idea, that uh, desire and ability, again, to meet the needs of his people. So he says, I was known to them uh, as El Shaddai, but by my name, the Lord, and again, that's the, that four-letter tetragrammaton, it's called the yod heh vov heh in Hebrew, uh, Y-H-V-H. Uh, some people pronounce that with the vowels then as Yahweh. Other people, uh, Hebrew speakers especially, will say Hashem here or Adonai. But he says, by my name, Adonai, Hashem, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now, what he's not saying is that they were unaware of this name, because we see it many, many times in Genesis. But what the commentators uh, make a point of is this, that the name here, the Lord, is a name that is connected primarily with covenant faithfulness and covenant redemption. And that was not what was going on in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were free in the land. They sojourned where they wanted. They did as they pleased. And God supplied their needs as El Shaddai. But now, he says, I, <clears throat> I, I, I did not make myself known to them, but I'm going to make myself known to your people, to you and your people. Because remember, at the burning bush, what, is, what does he say? I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. By my name, the Lord, Hashem, you will tell them, I'm coming, right? So here we are in this salvation moment, in this redemption moment, and the name comes forward in prominence over El Shaddai. So that's what's going on here, all right? <clears throat> I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. And I guess I want to make a point here. When you read the promise to Abraham of the land, it stretches from the Mediterranean to the Euphrates. But now he says, I am giving this land of Canaan, a very specific piece of that big plot of land, I'm giving this specific piece to Israel. Mm. And it brings up the thought that that entire piece of land is for Abraham's children, and remember he had children besides Isaac. Right. And they need a place to settle too. God's watching out over all of Abraham's children. But this little piece here <laughs> between the Jordan and the Mediterranean, and oh, you want a couple of plots of land on the other side of the Jordan for Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, this is for you guys. This is yours. This is what I've given you. The land where you sojourned, where your fathers were wandering around, as strangers. This is yours. And I think that that's something as believers we kind of ought to have in the back of our heads today uh, in the whole discussion uh, that's going on over the war in Israel, whose land is it, and all that kind of stuff. Um, as biblical people, we wouldn't expect to win any political arguments by saying the Bible says, right? But as spiritual followers of Messiah, we've got to understand that God has made a covenant that he will not go back on and that this land that's in question was given by God to the sons of Abraham through Isaac. Biblically, that's indisputable. And here he says it again. I... Give them the land of Canaan. <clears throat> now he brings it up to the present day. He says, moreover, I've heard their groaning. I've heard their groaning. 
uh, and <clears throat> I have remembered my covenant. And we've said this before, but we'll say it again. When God remembers something, it's not like he forgot it for a while and it suddenly came back to him like me just a little bit ago when I couldn't think of that word. <clears throat> but no, God, when the Bible talks about God remembering, it indicates God has now determined this is the time to act. This is the moment for me to intervene, to follow up with the promise that I made earlier. This is the time of the fulfillment of the promise. Okay? So he says, I've remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel. So this is all about covenant. This is not because God looked down and felt sorry for them, that they were slaves. I assure you there were plenty of other slaves around in the world at that time. But this is God looking at these slaves because these slaves are the offspring of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now he acts in their behalf. <clears throat> Say therefore to the people of Israel, again, I am the Lord. So, wow, he really wants to drive this home. So what he's saying is at the beginning of your speech to them, you start with, I am the Lord. I am Hashem, Yahweh, however you want to pronounce that in there. Uh, here's what he says he will do. Notice all these I wills. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So <clears throat> I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. So I want to just point out uh, one thing real quick. Uh, <clears throat> when he says, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, it seems like the same thing. And in a way, they are certainly synonymous and related ideas, but they're two different words. And one has to do with physically removing, I will bring you out. The other word is all about a relationship idea, that this is the word that is uh, translated in the idea of the kinsman redeemer, the idea that um, if an Israelite is in uh, financial distress, needs to sell his land, uh, it goes to a kinsman, somebody near in the family who will buy that and pay the redemption price. Um, <clears throat> when Ruth went and slept, well, went to, went, went to the threshing floor and she slept at Boaz's feet, if you recall that story. Uh, there was, there was the, the, the piece of land that was in question. And Boaz said, there's a man who's a closer kinsman than I am. If he won't redeem it, then I will. If he won't pay the price, I will. So that's this idea here, the kinsman redeemer. That's what God is saying about himself. He is in a relationship with Israel through the covenant that he is the near relative with the privilege and the duty to pay the price to bring them out. Yeah. So I love what you're saying here. And, and this is when I read uh, the commentary rate, I'm studying a Hebrew um, <clears throat> Torah, <laughs> these are commentaries of rabbis. So listen to what he's, the rabbi commentary mm -hmm. is about I will redeem you. Hebrew ga'al means to reclaim, redeem. Hence, goel, the technical term <coughs> for the kinsman whose duty it was to ransom or if need be avenge the person or property of his relative, what you were talking about. Yeah. But listen to what it says now. God intervenes in order to ransom his helpless and suffering people from slavery, and in mercy and faithfulness, he becomes their redeemer. Amen. Goel. Amen. Doesn't that sound like what he does through Yeshua? Amen. Well, that's, that's exactly the point that we get to, is that Yeshua is, what does Hebrews say? Not ashamed to call us brothers, right? And yes, he, um, the the goel uh, that that great verse at the end of uh, Psalm 19, I believe it is. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That redeemer is my goali, goal, and the e at the end is is the first person, my redeemer, my goali. It's personal. Yes. 
Yes. And, and that God, obviously, this, this is a relationship that God he has to initiate. I mean, we don't walk up to great people and just say, hey, we're going to be friends. No, the great person has to come to us to and, initiate that. And that's what God does. And, and you know, I will deliver you from their bondage. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, this is the physical deliverance from the <clears throat> slavery to the Egyptians. But when, when he redeems us through Yeshua, he delivers us from the bondage to our sins. Amen. That's the spiritual redemption. And in a way that's alluded to in verse 7, I'll take you to be my people and I will be to you your God, right? That's the idea. This isn't just, hey, come on out and go do what you want. This is, we're, we're initiating a relationship here. We are, we, are, we are going to be bonded together. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. Right? Right. And we know that this is going to be a uh, fraught relationship. Uh, if we've read our Bible further down the line, uh, we've talked about this uh, in our earlier studies when we were all the way at the end of the Torah in Numbers and Deuteronomy that there's a lot of a lot of uh, traveling and thinking and correction that has to take place before they buy into he's their God, right? Uh, and, and that, of course, is just the story of God's faithfulness. And as many times as, as they, they wandered off, of course, we have Moses <coughs> a few times saying, uh, no, you can't wipe them all out. <laughs> Even though God said, okay, well, I'll, I'll start over with just you. Moses says, no, you can't do that. So, so it, it, it all is, is right here, kind of coming, beginning to, to, to break ground. I mean, if we think about this as a plant, right, the, the seed is planted with the, the, the initial statement of the covenant to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now that seed is underground, and it's kind of bursting forth, and it's going to come out of the ground uh, as, as Moses goes through all this with the people and the plant comes to life, maybe the analogy breaks down a little bit further on, but that's, that's kind of what's going on here. God is saying, this is going to be our relationship. <clears throat> he says, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know. And again, that word know is a word that is a little bit more than just simply head knowledge, that there's an intimacy involved in yada to know, and to knowledge. Uh, Adam knew his wife, remember? Right. That's, that's literally the Hebrew. He knew his wife, signifying he had sexual relations with his wife. They became one flesh. He knew her. And so there's a real intimacy in this word, you shall know that I am Adonai, Hashem, your God, and he is making a distinction in that, in that sentence, you know, as opposed to all the other gods that have surrounded you while you're in Egypt, all the other gods that will surround you when you leave here and we'll be going through Moab and we'll be going through Edom and you'll come into Canaan and they, they've all got their gods. I am your God. Right? I am your God. You shall know I am your God who brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt the Egyptians, okay? And he ties this to a specific thing in their lives that they can point to. We were slaves in Egypt. Adonai acted in our behalf. Adonai must be our God because he brought us out. And that's what you brought up already, Lee, that uh, if, if Yeshua is the redeemer who brings us out of sin, there is no one else who performs that for us. There is no one else we can go to. And so we have really gone off the path if we begin to serve other gods as if they are our salvation, whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's some kind of gratification in sex or drugs, we have left from our God to follow a different one. Bob, you... Yeah, uh, uh, <coughs> when, when uh, sovereign God uses the word, I will, he is sovereign, he is in control, and it will happen. And this is a words of absolute that sometimes we, we use that we really maybe shouldn't use because something can get in our way. Nothing can get in, our, in God's way. You know, when he says, I will, it, it will happen. Well, you know, you said that, and it made me think of that verse in James. He says, uh, be careful about saying, I will go to this city or that city and do business. You don't know if, that, <laughs> if that's going to happen. <laughs> but you're right. When God says it, 
He's speaking through his sovereignty. <clears throat> his sovereignty. And that is all wrapped up in the idea that what God says is true. And as God is true to his word, he is acting faithfully. So truth and faithfulness in the Hebrew language are connected uh, words. They, they come from the same root. Uh, it is the root that we get our word, amen. Right. Amen. So that's why uh, <clears throat> in, in uh, Greek, Yeshua says, amen, amen, I say to you. In the King James, I think it said, verily, verily, I say to you. In a lot of modern translations, it says, truly, truly, I say to you. But it is based on this Hebrew word for truth. And that is exactly why God is able to say, I will do this, I will do this, I will. And then it actually does come to pass because God in his sovereign freedom is the only one who can say categorically what will well, happen. happen. <laughs> That's true. <clears throat> um, I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I think, Lee, you like saying the word a heritage there. Well, the, again, the rabbinic commentary about the Hebrew word morashah, mm -hmm. the same word used in Deuteronomy 33.4 of the Torah. This is significant. Israel has been offered two heritages, the one spiritual, the Torah, is unconditional and eternal, not so the other heritage, the land of promise. In possession, its possession, the land's possession, depends upon Israel's appreciation of and obedience to its God-given law, the Torah. And I think we see that in the history recorded for us in the scripture then, um, very clearly that God is repeatedly looking at the failure of Israel to worship him properly. He sends prophets to warn them. Uh, they are <clears throat> repeatedly coming under various judgments from these outside forces, Philistines and Moabites, and till finally we get to 722 and Assyria has been assaulting uh, the northern kingdom, Samaria, and God has determined this is the end and the northern tribes are carried away. And rather than looking around and repenting, Judah keeps going down her merry way, uh, following other gods, listening to false prophets. And finally we get to Ezekiel, who's taken away in the exile, and he's prophesying from Babylon. And we have Jeremiah, who is still in the land of Judah, prophesying. And... Finally, of course, Nebuchadnezzar comes and removes them from the land. So they're exiled because conditionally they had failed to honor God as God. Again, and, and look at the very next uh, verse. It says, and Moses, this is Exodus 6, 9, and Moses spoke so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for impatience of spirit and for cruel bondage. So, you know, I, I just wanted to bring up about this idea of return, repentance and submission to God that Second Chronicles 7.14 says, because God links the remembering of his covenant with he hearing their groaning or their crying and, you know, and then the sort of the opposite of that is that, that they, they didn't hearken because they were impatient of spirit. And then patience prevented them from, you know, hearing what God mm -hmm. said to Moses. But in Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And again, you know, that, that is the pattern that you see repeatedly in Judges. That's what's one of the great things about Judges, I think, is the people are, are, are going along, life is 
pretty good, but then they start to fall away from the Lord. And then the enemies start to come in and things get worse and worse and worse until finally they call out to God and he raises up a deliverer, a judge we call them. <clears throat> and and that is, is <clears throat> what God is always looking for is where's your heart? And their heart was, and I want to come back to this verse then because we, we're, we're in the same possible boat when God speaks. If we don't hear it, what is, what's the problem? Notice they, they don't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit. So one is my feelings. That's good. And because of their harsh slavery, because of my circumstances. And because of my feelings and because of my circumstances, I put them in a greater place than what God has to say to me about either my feelings or my circumstance, right? Right. And until I get to a point where not, not only am I groaning, but I really, wow, this, this, is, this is the time I need to really repent, give my life back to God, uh, because none of this is working for me anymore, right? And from, from this point, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery, what will it really take for them to, to get on board? I'm going to say, and this gets us into the, the rest of the, 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 the text a little bit. You know, when you look at, the, at the, uh, the, the unfolding of the plagues, first is the, the, the water turns to blood, and the second one is that there are uh, frogs everywhere, and the third one there are gnats, and we get the uh, note that each one of these are mimicked by the pharaoh's magicians what's interesting of course is they can mimic it but they can't overturn it the fourth plague which is in hebrew only called swarms our english translations make it swarms of flies or some other kind of insect interesting at passover the fourth plague do you remember is actually beasts because in the hebrew understand the Jewish understanding, uh, it's swarms of beasts. <laughs> and so when we're reciting the, uh, the, the plagues at Passover time, the fourth one is not flies, but beasts. We've already had uh, gnats and flies. But the point I want to make is this. Plague number one, two, and three appear to have happened to all of Egypt, including the Jewish people, because it's not until we get to plague number four that God makes a distinction. And I wonder if it is tied to this very thing. How do I get them to move past their feelings and their circumstances to see those things as bigger items than my promise to their fathers in covenant? That, and, and he delivers this message through Moses, right? How do I get them past that? Well, yeah. I let them experience what it means to be without God. Well, you know, I, I, I think that, um, so this is this idea of God setting apart a people for himself to mm -hmm. redeem. And then there's Pharaoh and, and, you know, setting apart a people for himself that are like the foil of, of the <coughs> redemption, the people that harden their heart, that exalt themselves so he, he, he creates this division, right, physically in the land of Goshen. Could you just elaborate on that a little bit for people who might not know what we're talking about here? Well, well so the, the Hebrews or the Israelites are in the land of Goshen in Egypt. And the plagues after, I, I wasn't aware of what you said, that it was on, on, at the fourth plague that they're not afflicted. But the land of Goshen, the Israelites are spared from the consequences of these plagues. So there's like this division in the land physically in the you know in the world that where the Israelites are living they don't get the plagues and where the Egyptians and the Pharaoh's people are living they get the plagues so it's like this dividing line of good and evil you know and 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 life or and and versus death which you know we see later in Deuteronomy 
life and good <laughs> or death and evil, choose life. But this is God's doing, right? This is God's grace, his favor, his pain, you know, that he's choosing the Israelites to, to receive the good. It's not something they did. It's not something they deserve. It's not by works. It is the gift of God, as our Ephesians 2 passage says. And, you know, when we're perceived or when we experience God's favor, you know, and our faith is strong, and, and then when we suffer, what do we do? When we suffer our hurt feelings or the, the, the broken spirit or the difficult circumstances— all of a sudden, our faith wanes and, you know, weakens. And where is God when I need him, you know? Right. B- because, you know, we don't understand. It's all God, right? Our favor, when it looks good, is God. And our suffering, the consequences are God trying to correct our actions and, and you know, change our heart, soften our heart, you know, repent. And submit, yeah, which we see Pharaoh doesn't do. Yeah. He hardens his heart. Well, and that's the other thing that we often don't take into account in our own lives, is that there's more than one, more than my story going on, as God is working things out, right? So there's there's God's story that He's got going with Pharaoh, and in order to bring that about, there in, involves the Israelites and. You know, there, there, there's a lot of moving parts uh, outside of our own little bubble that God has his hand on all of it. And we, if we only focus on our little bubble, we could very easily wind up here with impatient spirits and, you know, the, the burden of our slavery, right? Good our, point. Our harsh slavery. What, what is that... that uh, illustration people always use about tapestries you know on one side of the tapestry all you can see is this confused knot of stuff right all these threads and everything going everywhere and tying off and who knows what any of it means but when you get on the other side you have this beautiful picture that that the, the artist who knew what he was or she was doing in tying off all of those threads knew what the end product was going to be and that's what we are missing so much when we when we focus so much on ourselves and our situation and God is always calling us out then what are the I wills <laughs> uh, that, that, that God has said about you and not only the I wills but what are the I haves I have called you my son I have redeemed you I have put my spirit in you I have you know when when we we stop thinking about what God is doing and only about what is happening in my little experience of my little piece of this great big universe we're gonna we're gonna miss a lot and we're gonna possibly uh, be in the same mental and spiritual place that these Egyptians that these Israelites are in when they say ah Moses we don't believe you All right, so we want to make a point then that uh, God is sovereignly acting, and God is sovereignly acting on behalf of the story he has going on with the Israelites, and he's sovereignly acting on behalf of the story he has going not only with Pharaoh, but with some Egyptians within Pharaoh's land. Because we want to point out that while God has put a distinction between Israel and Egypt. He is now sparing them all the plagues, actually from four through nine. Ten, the death of the firstborn. Israel is subject to that as well if they fail to follow the directive about the blood. So any Israelite house that might not have put the blood over their door was going to have a date with the angel of death just like all the Egyptians. But plagues four through nine now are clearly only happening in Egypt and not happening at all in, in or, or happening in Goshen, where the Israelites are, not happening at all. I think I messed that up. 
The plagues are happening in Egypt, but not at all in Goshen where the Israelites are living. Bob. Now, you just mentioned about uh, putting the blood on the door. Going, I guess we're going a little bit ahead of, of where we're going to be going. But when, when uh, if the Israelites didn't put the blood over the door doorpost, <coughs> then the then the, the Passover wouldn't it, wouldn't it happen to them. They would be they would suffer under that the, mm-hmm. the, the death. But right. by the same token, uh, the Egyptians that also were living with them, that they put the blood over it. They were spared. Yes, and that's where we want to get to is that while this looks like a story of Israel's redemption and deliverance and judgment on Egypt and Pharaoh and Pharaoh's gods, this is a story about the redemption, I think, of some Egyptians, too, because look what happens in chapter 9. We're up to the seventh plague of hail. The Lord says to Moses, rise up early in the morning. Present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people. So there seems to be some privileged class of Egyptians that may not have suffered too much during these earlier plagues. But he, he clearly singles out Pharaoh and his Pharaoh's inner circle that you're, you're going to suffer so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Because by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. In other words, God says, I've been taking it easy with you. But now I'm really going to show you. And I guess this is a good point to bring this up, too, is um, this is about service. Who's, who will you serve? Who do you serve? Uh, you, these Israelites have been your servants, but they are my servants, and I'm going to take my servants out. And the same word, uh, the Hebrew underlining this is the word abad, uh, the same word is also used as a synonym in ideas of worship. To worship God is a service, okay? So that who is going to, who, who are these people going to serve? They're not going to serve you any longer, Pharaoh. They are going to serve me. You need to let them go that they may serve me, right? Then he goes on with this powerful word. By, for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh has been the great name in the earth. Pharaoh is the king of kings at that time. I mean, Egypt is the primary empire. But no, uh, my name is going to be proclaimed. Then he says, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. So this is, this is now a, a real direct confrontation between the Lord of the universe and one who has been proclaimed Lord by his royal dynasty, by his people perhaps, but it has given him a big head. (laughs) He's exalted himself. Made himself a god. Right. Literally, uh, that, that, that is the role. Behold, about this time tomorrow I'll cause very heavy hail to fall. But here's, here's the, he, he says, tomorrow is the day. Now you let everybody know this is coming. Send everyone to bring in your livestock and get in shelter uh, because anything that's out in the field, it's going to get wiped out. This is what's so cool about God and about grace and mercy. And warning, right? And, and, and warning. warning. <laughs> <laughs> then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and livestock into the houses. Whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and livestock in the field. Isn't that so full of grace and mercy? Yes, yes it is. <laughs> well, well, so it's full of God's grace, and it shows that the fear of the Lord it's the beginning of wisdom. Good mm-hmm. point. Amen. And they decided it was a wise thing to listen to that word. For sure. For sure. So um, this is maybe the place to bring up the idea that uh, Paul, in our New Testament passage, 
uh, Paul in Romans chapter 9 says this. He's talking about uh, God's providential, sovereign choice of people and nations. In uh, verse, chapter 9, verse 13 of uh, Romans, uh, he is making the point that God has chosen people not on the basis of their works, because look at Esau and Jacob before they were born, before they ever had the opportunity to do one thing or another. God told Rebekah that the younger, the older will serve the younger. And then in Malachi, uh, we have these words, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. So Paul is making the case here that God is sovereign in his uh, decisions about who will receive mercy. Because Romans chapters 1 through 3 really uh, wrap up all of humanity as uh, under wrath. And without mercy, all of humanity would perish. But God, who is rich in mercy, what Lee read for us out of Ephesians, According to his great mercy, he saved us through Messiah. And that's what's being argued here in Romans chapter 9, that God's mercy is what saves us, and God's mercy is unconditionally given, because what he quotes here is uh, what God said to Moses uh, later on in Exodus, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And the reason it is about mercy and compassion and sovereignty is that it not depend on the human will or human exertion, but salvation is what he's talking about. Salvation rests on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, and so Pharaoh now is, is brought up as a case point. The scripture says what we just read for this very purpose I raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Because we haven't really talked about the hardening business with Pharaoh. But God says, I will harden Pharaoh. Now, he tells that to Moses at the beginning. He, we read it a number of times that he was hardened. Right. We read at least once that Pharaoh hardened his own heart and we read once that the Lord hardened his heart. Hard hearts are what we're all born with. And Pharaoh is involved in hardening his own heart. He rejects, he rebels, he exalted himself, right? We read that. But there's also this business of the sovereign God in order to show his power as well as his mercy to others, hardens some people. And he goes on to, to make the, the other point about the potter and the clay. Shall the, 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 the clay say to the artist, don't make me this way? What we're talking about is the absolute sovereign freedom of God to choose who he will for whatever purpose he desires. For Moses and Israel and the fathers, he's chosen mercy for Pharaoh and other Pharaoh-like folks, he has chosen to allow them to remain in rebellion and in hardness and under wrath. It, we just made, you know, we read earlier about making a distinction. It says, I will make a distinction between my people and your people. Mm -hmm. And you just said earlier, Jerry, that uh, I will show uh, grace on who I show grace with, mercy I show grace. So there's a, this distinction that goes all throughout. But I believe that distinction rides on the individual's heart. Wouldn't you think that distinction would ride on? Because when I think about the old, the uh, New Testament, that, you know, the name of Jesus, does that come, is, is that a sweet aroma to people? The people that are being saved, saved and being saved, that's an aroma to them. Amen. But the people that's a stench to them, that's a distinction. That they're, they're, they're dead and, and dying or dead. So... It, it does. It comes down to distinction, but it comes down to the individual's heart that God makes that distinction, I believe. I, I agree with you, Bob. You know, um, it, it, it also says that he shows mercy 
I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So, you know, there's this idea of of hardening the heart. What does it really mean? It means, you know, God doesn't take our free will from us. We have the choice in how we respond to our suffering. So first he gives them suffering, then in, in Pharaoh and the Egyptians, then he gives them sickness, and in the end he gives them death. And, and all through this, he gives Pharaoh the opportunity to repent and to submit and let his people go to serve the Lord. It's not let my people go so that they can have a great time and not be slaves and have their own land. No, it's let my people go so they can serve me, right? But what does Pharaoh do? Well, first he says, who's this God? I don't know who this God is. I don't know him. Then he says, well... You know, so he's arrogant and stubborn and willful. And then he starts to believe and acknowledge a little bit. And then he has a vain oath in, in the face of receiving some of God's mercy. He says, oh, you know, to Moses, go tell God to, to stop it hailing and I'll let his people go. And he lies. He, right. doesn't, he doesn't carry through. It's a vain oath. And, and then he continues in disobedience. You know, when he gets some relief from suffering. And then it's partial obedience. He reserves his disobedience. A little bit of disobedience continues to exalt himself. And then his fatal chastisement, because of his continued disobedience to God, hardens his heart beyond being saved. So, you know, God does have mercy on whom he has mercy and compassion on whom he has compassion. But he gives us opportunities to correct our course and to humbly submit and to repent and turn return to him. And, you know, we, we have the choice, we have the will, but we can exalt ourselves or we can turn and humble ourselves mm -hmm. and submit comes down to pride, doesn't it, Lee? Yes. Yeah, Pharaoh uh, has, has these uh, different moments where he is trying to soften the blow of actually letting them go all the way. Remember, he says, well, instead of going all the way out there, how about uh, stay close in? Uh, how about sending just the men and keep the women and children here? Right? He has these different, uh, what do you think about this, God? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, and God keeps saying, no, we'll do it my way. Uh, and, and even after the death of his firstborn, obviously his heart is still hard. He says, I, I let them go. What was I thinking? Let me go chase them down. Right? Right. So, so, so Pharaoh was, was deep into himself. <laughs> but it sounds like us, too. You know, it sounds like me, you know, when, when I receive mercy and forgiveness, you know, from God do I use that mercy and forgiveness to obey the next time when my besetting sin comes up? Mm -hmm. Or do I, you know, right. give in to my besetting sin and, and reserve that little bit of disobedience and exalt myself? And, you know, and then the next time the punishment's going to be a little more. Yeah. Well, let, let's use that maybe as, as a way to move on to one maybe final topic here. The idea that their redemption from Egypt and slavery was to come out and serve God, right? So that our redemption, all of redemption, has that as its goal, right? Uh, whatever you were stuck in, you were stuck in something it might have felt great but what does c.s lewis have that great line about kids uh not understanding uh the the great riches and are happy making mud pies uh when they could have a, a holiday at the beach i think something like that um that all of god's intention is to bring us into the best place we can be 
And whether we understand it or not, the best place we can be is in line with God, doing what pleases God. Amen. Right? And so all of that redemption stuff is trying to bring us out of where we were, whatever we were stuck in, whatever gods we were serving, to come and serve the living and true God, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what, how Yeshua put it, right? So our prophet's portion from Ezekiel is a warning against the nation Israel as they were being besieged uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, maybe it was a little bit before the siege, but they were looking to make an alliance with Egypt to help them stand up and fight against Nebuchadnezzar. And, well, no, this is right in the middle of it because it's Ezekiel. So, so uh, there's this warning. Do not go and trust in Egypt because trusting in Egypt is like uh, if you have a, a piece of a reed from, from the marshes, that you're using that as your walking stick. It's going to break in your hand. It's going to shatter. The splinters are going to go through you. Uh, Egypt is going to be destroyed. You cannot, cannot go back and depend on Egypt. And that's a, that, that is a topic that comes up in a variety of the prophets, not just in Ezekiel. But he, here's, here's the, 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 the place for maybe you and me to think about. Egypt is a type of our life in the flesh. It is a type or a picture of slavery to sin. And God has called us out of Egypt to come and serve him, to worship him, to live the life that God intended, a life that's lived in alignment with God's commandments. You know, Yeshua says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. However we want to Look at that. Egypt is a type of the flesh then. And Paul talks about living a life in the spirit versus living a life in the flesh. In the book of Galatians, that's really what it's all about. Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, do you think you can finish in the flesh? And that's the book that has that great chapter about, you know, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and the two are at enmity. Why do you think we still, as followers of Yeshua, have such a struggle <laughs> with the flesh? And what are the tactics that we can use to overcome that and to walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh? What are some of the things that you have thought about and lived through in your own experience that way? You know, Jerry, you can become a slave to your own passions, <laughs> and that's... I think that happens to a lot of people. And those passions can be a, a very various things. You know, it could be uh, drinking, drugs, sex, work, hobbies. You pick one. And, and if, you, if you give yourself to those things, it, you will come up empty completely. But if you live by the Spirit, you will become fulfilled. You'll, you go through God's plan, and it's the best way to go. I mean, and that's part of what we talked about earlier about denying yourself, denying what you want, and 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 giving to yourself to what God wants for you. Yeah, and and you know this idea of crucifying ourself, our desires on the cross, and 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 you know the Shema. When you think about, it, he says, "What what does Jesus say? The greatest commandment is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, not with." 95%, not with 99%, 100%, all thy heart. That means crucifying those desires you're talking about, everything else but to love God. And, you know, that's hard for us as human beings. Why? Because we love ourselves and we want to res- we want to reserve a little my, this little thing that gives me pleasure, you know, this little habit I have of having chocolate every night, and that's what really <laughs> makes me happy. But what Jerry was saying, you know, that that obedience to God and God's law and to his will, submitting my will to his will, that is where happiness really it comes, is, true yeah. joy really the, comes. The fulfillment of life. 
and it's hard. Oh, it's hard. Man, it is hard. It's hard, you know, when the when the flesh calls to push it down and to resist it. But what what does James says? Resist the devil and he will flee. It takes active resistance. It's not passive. It is active. Yes, the the devil for sure we resist him and he must flee. Um we're talking about our flesh which is a little bit different enemy and and in my experience personally uh I've had way more trouble with my flesh than the devil. Um it's true. <laughs> Go ahead. You know, it, it, a lot of times in life we look through and we say, you know, I'm having to deal with my boss. I'm having to deal with my workers I work with, my family, my kids. We all t- seem to look on external things that we have to deal with. But really, the, our biggest challenge is within us. It's within our own hearts having to deal with it mm-hmm. and having to deal with all the, all the pride and, and the desires that we want. Right. But, it, but we must, like it says in, in, in uh you know, Genesis, you, you, you know your sin, you must master it because it's waiting at the door. Yeah. And so the only way to do that, I think we all agree, is, is accepting Jesus and knowing him. That's the best start. Yeah. As you were talking, it made me think again of the, the verse we've already commented on, that they wouldn't listen to Moses because of their impatient hearts, their feelings, and their harsh labor, their circumstances. And again, we're in that same place we we experience what we experience so much that it crowds out what God is trying to tell us. Amen. Right? And to be able... The other thing as we, uh, that, that pops into my mind is to remember when we're having a hard time with our boss or our spouse or whomever or whatever it might be is that there's more than my story going on. That's that right. God's doing something in those other people too that I am somehow part of god's plan for them amen right but and it also says moses says in in verse uh in in exodus 6 30 and moses said before the lord behold i am of uncircumcised lips and how shall pharaoh hearken unto me and so I think, you know, in this word, this uncircumcised word, the commentary is, it's the same word used about uncircumcised hearts. And, you know, this is where we, and, and, and you know, what, it, what does it mean when it says to circumcise your heart? It, it really means on the cross, with the cross. The great instrument of circumcision there isn't the scalpel, the moil uses for the circumcision in the flesh it's the cross Mm -hmm. it's the circumcision of the cross on our hearts you know of our sin and of our need for salvation and a savior yeah amen amen so one last thought then what you just said about moses uh how how i'm a man of uncircumcised lips how will pharaoh listen to me the problem in that statement, once more, is Moses has his eyes on the wrong person. He's looking at himself and probably legitimately recognizes weakness, inability, fear. But his eyes shouldn't be on him. His eyes need to be on the Lord. Amen. Right? So that's where we're going to leave it today, uh, trying to turn our eyes to the Lord trying to uh, understand that he is greater than my feelings. He's greater than my circumstances. He's greater than all of the uh, people that seem to be stinging flies in my life. He's greater than the darkness that is overwhelming the land sometimes. God is greater. And as uh, followers of Yeshua, we want to say that the entrance into the life of God is faith in Yeshua. And if you have never put your faith in Jesus, Yeshua, salvation, that we'd like to invite you to come along today and put your faith in him. So if you are ready, if you recognize that your sin has separated you from God and you are tired of being on the outside, 
and you want to know God and you want to receive his forgiveness, you want to start living the life that God intends for us as we walk with him and learn from him, then would you just pray this simple prayer with me? Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can't fix myself, but I believe with all my heart that you sent Jesus to be my savior and I accept him now and ask for your cleansing. I receive salvation and forgiveness. I receive your Holy Spirit and ask that by your spirit, I will live the life that you designed for me to live in honor and glory to your name. I ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. If you prayed that, would you let us know on One New Man Ministries uh, Facebook page? And we are happy you were here, and we'll see you again next week. God be with you.